You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Inbound to Boston, final seconds tick off. The Golden State Warriors back on top of the NBA once more. Four championships in eight years. They win three straight to close out the Celtics in six games. The Warriors are the 2022 NBA champs. They beat Boston 103 to 90 in game six. They did it. The Golden State Warriors overcame being the worst team in the league just two seasons ago. 900 plus days for Klay Thompson sitting, watching, waiting. A late season injury to Steph Curry. A team in Boston that many said was the better team. They said Golden State's margin for victory is so small, everything has to be perfect. People even criticized Steph Curry's previous finals performances. And here we are, three straight wins later. Golden State Warriors are your world champions. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. And I didn't even have to mention Kevin Durant and those cupcake victories. ESPN (laughs) Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. There was a little bit of fire to these Warriors as they accepted their trophies gave their speeches, celebrated on Boston's court, just the second team ever fits to win a title on Boston's parquet floor. And they took their time and reveled in it. Because even if you and I didn't believe some of the BS coming out about this team, some of the straw men that it felt like people were arguing, they just said, you know what, anyone who does believe that, let's make sure they got nothing on us. Let's make sure there is no narrative you can throw out about this team, about this star, or about our title wins. One of my least favorite phrases in all the sports there is the SEC phrase. It just means more. Uh, but I kept thinking about that <laughs> last night as I was watching afterwards because I was watching a Golden State team that has won so many championships for in eight years. That you, I wondered what it would look like, and what I saw was so much raw emotion. And his players continued to acknowledge that they heard it. They heard the straw man arguments, the stupidity that's been thrown around, some of the legacy conversations. I mean, for them to acknowledge what they heard, it just speaks to how fired up this group was. And I, I kept watching early in the game, and it, I think it was a 14-2 run the Celtics came out early on, and I kept thinking, man, the Warriors are taking every punch. Will they punch back? And once they started punching back, it was just it was never in doubt. The, the, the Warriors looked so posed, poised, I should say, throughout the course of a game that could have gone off the rails early, and it was like they just looked at Boston and said, that's the best you got, and then came mm-hmm. back. There, there is a fire and an energy to what we saw emotionally from Golden State that was palpable, and after four championships in eight years they still feel hungry mm-hmm. that, that that just blew my mind uh you mentioned that's the best you got we'll throw back our own punch and honestly this should be straight talk brought to you by straight talk wireless this stat alone is straight talk a 21 to nothing run in the elimination game of a final series now listen i am never unless i literally see someone Dogging it or admitting to dogging it, I never questioned the want to of anyone. I'm never going to say anyone quit. But boy, you make it tough for me when you give up 21 straight points without an answer. And again, it's, I, I, I don't know that it's about effort so much as tight sphincters. We talk about those a lot around here. When you get so tight, so nervous, so worried about watching them go on a run, about watching them get hot and Steph get his swagger, 
you just can't make the next right play. Because a 21 to nothing run, which is, by the way, the biggest in finals history, that's what broke it up. And that's what made it so hard because the Warriors did, I mean, the Celtics did fight back later. But by then, the lead was so big that if they cut it, they would cut it to 12. They would cut it to nine. And if you're the Warriors, you can put a stop to it when it gets to nine and have enough room to keep it from being a tight game. If you're not 21 to 0 run, you're not putting so much distance between you and the ability to make a game of it if you're the Celtics. Yeah, I keep thinking about what you were just talking about, you know, puckered up. And I remember there were times when I was playing shows and I'd be in the middle of a song and I'd think, okay, I butchered this one. So I'm just going to restart on the next song. And you get to the next song and I'm like, nope, butchered this one too. And then uh, we're, Were you we're, really we're, bad at the fiddle? Uh, no, I, the, I had high high standards, but every okay. once in a while, right. you just have a night where you get crushed. And there were there were a couple of shows I remember just looking, literally looking at my set list, saying, "All right, obviously this is not. I'm not going to win. I just need to survive this thing." That was the sort of defeated attitude I felt during that 21 nothing run that you just referenced because it felt like you could just see the air going out of ball. There's a here we go again to all of this. And I think you just look around and you realize, man, whatever we do, they seem to do it better. And you can only try and punch the bully so many times before you realize that your punches aren't doing anything. And then you start to just look around and wonder what to do next. This We knew that the Celtics were going to have to play a particularly clean game to win and they didn't they couldn't they couldn't get through that run and by the time to your point that run happened they were so far out of it it really felt like Golden State was able to toy with them for the rest of the matchup it's Spain and Fitz Sarah Spain Jason Fitz celebrating an incredible run for the Warriors and I, I if I had the time Fitz I would go back to our shows at the beginning of the season and see what we were saying about the Warriors because I think I, I had them as a playoff team. I think I had them as a top four team in the West, but there were plenty who did not see this team as being able to contend and wondered if they ever would again, and yet here we are. And and to our point that we talked about earlier, hell of a uh, attitude, and, and deservedly so. And a lot of that was coming from Clay. Clay, who told us about, you know, dipping himself in the refreshing waters of the ocean and how nature is healing. Clay, who told us he watched highlights of himself in game sixes to get out of his slump. He always has a good soundbite. And he had one again in the midst of all the celebrating last night. He was thinking about something that a player for the Grizzlies tweeted months ago. There was this one player on the Grizzlies who tweeted strength in numbers after they beat us in the regular season. And it pissed me off so much. <laughs> I can't wait to retweet that thing, freaking bum. That, I had to watch that. I'm just like, this freaking clown. Okay. 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 Sorry. That memory just popped up. You're going to mock us? Like, you ain't ever been there before, bro. We've been there. We know what it takes. So to be here again, hold that. Well, uh, sorry to Jaron Jackson Jr., but uh, you got served there. You really got no response to that. He's a, he's a world champion again. And that wasn't even the best sound we got from Clay Thompson because he was talking to Lisa Salters on the stage right after the win. Everyone's celebrating, and he drops this on us. It's crazy. I'm on, a, I'm on cloud 109 right now, Lisa. I don't even know what to say. I'm just thankful to be here, man. This is crazy, Lisa. I can't even believe it. I knew it was a possibility to see it in real time. Holy cannoli. This is crazy. Holy <laughs> cannoli. I have several questions. Number one, do we think holy cannoli is something that he says a lot? 
Like, is this part of the vernacular and it just popped out? Or is this one of those moments where there's just too much that you want to say? You can't put it into words and holy cannoli pops out for the first time in life. What do you say on that, Fitz? First time or common phrase for him? No, it's never the first time you say holy cannoli. <laughs> like, that, that's something that you, you realize is, is just part of your common vernacular at that point. Like, it, it's kind of like the first time you ever accidentally dropped an F-bomb in front of your parents. That wasn't uh, the first yeah. time you ever said yeah. it. Like, that, there's yeah, no yeah. way. All right, second I have is, do you have an old man phrase? Because I definitely think holy cannoli is a old man phrase. And I'm going to put that out on social, both of those. At Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz. Do you think Clay has said holy cannoli before? And what is your most go-to old man phrase? I have the embarrassing uh, story of when I'm even by myself and no one's around. If I've had a very long day and then I sit down on like a bed or a couch, I'll say, "Mm, that's the ticket. (laughs) Just by myself. Just by myself. In a room after an exhausting day, I will sit on a bed and say, mm, "That's the ticket." My, I, I can't think of an old man <laughs> phrase that I have, but I'm about to find out that I do because every yeah. time you ask these questions, the number of my friends that text me is like, "Lo, you're an idiot." So I'm sure somebody will remind me of one of mine. Although it's not really an old man phrase, I stole it from I think it was the Snickers commercial. But I do say "Great googly moogly" all the time. Oh yeah, that's and, an and old that's, man phrase. Yeah, that Actually, that's pretty... just like more of like a nerd. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a, that's a whole nother conversation. Oh, uh, I mean, it's Spain and Fitz. That's Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Jeez uh, Louise is suggested by our producer. Also, another day. Jeez Louise is an old man phrase. I don't think Come it's on. an old man phrase. That's a common I think, phrase for yeah, me. Yeah, I think that's just it. and another day in paradise. I I don't usually hear anyone saying that but i'll give you that for like you know someone who's retired walks out and and says something like that we'll get more of those from y'all coming up from one of the best franchises in sports to arguably the most dysfunctional ever we'll get into it next you're listening to the spain and fitz podcast so a little behind the scenes uh, around this show, when we want to play some sound to go along with the topics we're talking about, we'll ask our producer, is there anything in the system? You know, search a couple key words or names, see if there's any sound of anyone smart talking about something. Like, okay, well, put in commanders and see if anyone's talking about the latest developments in Congress and, and the government. Oh, nothing there. All right, put in commanders and see if there's anything about them getting fined for too much physicality of practice and getting multiple practices taken away in a $100,000 fine. Oh, nothing there. Uh, oh, the only thing we have is the last scandal from two days ago when they had to talk about their defensive coordinator saying that January 6th was a dust-up. I mean, it never ends with this team, Fitz. It never ends. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Literally, it's always something with the commanders. It's always something. And the latest, at least, Fitz, might have a tiny bit of a silver lining in that their ineptitude, their pathetic lack of transparency, their disgusting desire to cover up their most toxic and horrific behaviors was so offensive to the U.S. government, by the way, the U.S. government, (laughs) that they are actively looking to change laws around NDAs as a result of the commander's behavior so that's the silver lining that's how terrible they are that but that says so much if you're the nfl uh, you know we've talked a lot about college sports and how once government gets involved you can't hide and that's what we've seen 
much of in the name, image, likeness conversation. The NFL is dealing with an issue now, not just the commanders, but the league, where once you get to this level, you, you can't hide forever. Now, Dan Snyder has chosen not to appear because he'll be out of town, so he apparently can't appear in front of the subcommittee sure, next sure, week. Sure. Uh, but Roger Goodell will appear, and they've already uh, – six different senators today asked the NFL to make their private reports public – uh, from their own investigation. Now, will that happen? Probably not. But these questions continue to be asked, and they're being asked by people that are, frankly, more powerful than the NFL or Roger Goodell. And so when you look at national law being changed because of something that was happening in your culture, that's the ultimate, to me, sign that you have absolutely blown it. And at some point, you've got to step up, step, look around, and say even the NFL outside of Dan Snyder has to look around and say, this has happened on our watch as part of our organizations, and it's so bad that laws are being talked about <laughs> change-wise. <laughs> like, that's the reason that you turn around and say, we have to make a culture change. Yeah, Congresswoman Carolyn B. Maloney is the one that's introduced the bills uh, to curb the use of employers using NDAs to prevent employees from talking about uh, workplace misconduct, uh, and then to stop employers uh, from using quote-unquote professional images for lewd and inappropriate purposes. That, of course, being aimed at the way the commanders used stills and video from calendar shoots and had B-roll highlight reels made for personal pleasure, which every time I talk about it makes me cringe with disgust at the idea that these women who would be working around men who had disgusting highlight reels of them nude or partially nude um both of those bills are introduced because of the commanders because of that investigation from the committee on oversight and reform Fitz, that's deeply embarrassing and for all the conversations we've had about why it feels like the nfl isn't acting on the commanders at some point the two sides of the scale this side of embarrassing you know, terrible headlines, bringing attention, causing investigations has to outweigh whatever it is that Dan Snyder has on those other guys or whatever it is they're worried about people finding in their own closets. Because that's what we say every time. None of these owners wants to force another owner out because of the skeletons they have in their own closet, because the behaviors that they're worried about people uncovering. We know that with the Cowboys, for instance, that Dalrymple guy who was taking video of the cheerleaders in their in their dressing room or whatever. You know, there's probably conduct like this across the league. At some point, though, it needs to be every time you have any FaceTime with owners or GMs for any team, you ask them flat out, why isn't the the league acting on Dan Snyder and the Washington Commanders? They are bringing great shame, embarrassment, undue attention, investigations, and potential legal changes to laws to your league. They need to ask them every time because I think we let them off the hook with this. Yeah, conduct detrimental is a reason that you can be fined and suspended as a player in the NFL, but we're letting an owner stand around and be conduct detrimental to everything that the NFL should stand for. And what's interesting to me about all of this is if the presumption, and I agree uh, that the, the concept is they don't want to push out one of their own because they're afraid of the skeletons in their own, their own closets. The problem with that presumption from the NFL side is it presumes that they can continue to hide those skeletons. And I don't know in the new world what's going on right now when you've got, for example, John Gruden with his lawsuit against not 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 forgiving anything that John Gruden said. 
But John Gruden and the fact that a, a judge has decided that that case will not go to arbitration and instead will be heard in court means that all of these emails that were part of the Washington investigation are going to become part of the conversation in a court of law. The NFL can't hide that. You know, they can they can certainly hope that they can convince John Gruden to take a sum of money to go away. But if he chooses not to, it's all going to become public record. I can't imagine that Roger Goodell, I know he is where he is and has been an attorney. I can't imagine Roger Goodell thinks he's going to be able to sit in front of Congress and convince them that they don't need details or that he cannot provide them information. So to me, the skeletons are going to come absolutely tumbling out of the closet at some point. At some point, the league's going to have to get ahead of it if they even can. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem is uh, what we've talked about a million times over, which is for whatever reason, this fraternity at the highest levels um, does not see fit to force anyone out. And they maybe want some sort of behavior that's criminally of uh, um, punished in order to make that move because there are far too many quote unquote conduct related things that would open up a can of worms for everybody else. But I agree with everybody who says, how are you going to punish players for a bunch of things as representations of teams and not punish owners? Mm. And it's pretty pathetic. Then again, uh, there's not a lot that's made us feel hopeful and confident in the NFL making the right decision so much as just CYA over and over and over again. I can't believe I'm asking I'm asking Congress to be the accountability partner in all of this. Like I, I don't even know how to feel about that. Like you know what, Congress will finally get real honest answers. They'll, they'll come together and agree on something oh that will make this better. Oh uh, don't God. forget, you could tune into an AL battle tomorrow as the Astros host the White Sox, presented by Progressive Insurance. Coverage begins at 3:30 p.m. Eastern on. ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. We're going to have someone who covers the commanders on the show later because I want to ask about this building up of issues. Uh, you know, we're, we're already sort of moved far enough beyond the accusations of Dan Snyder's sexual harassment um, and sexually harassing behaviors against um, an employee and all the other things that came out in that original investigation and a report that the NFL still has yet to release despite demands from Congress and otherwise to be more transparent in their findings. To your point, the stuff that resulted in Gruden being the only one punished thus far. So we'll get into more of the commanders and also how it might affect them on the field. Gosh, there's just a never-ending stream of bad news out of that spot. But coming up, we're going to get back to the hardwood and the Warriors championship. We're going to talk about them and the incredible behind the scenes work that went into keeping this core together, but also the Celtics. Where do they go from here? Is this the beginning of a run or are they going to get stuck in the mud? We'll get into all of it next. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. You know what? It's a Friday. You don't have to wear a suit and tie if you don't want to. It's a Friday. Friday. Yay, thank you. Fry, yay! I'm worried That's about what we you. got going on. I don't know. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget to tune in to an AL Battle Sunday. Astros host the White Sox, the other Chicago baseball team. Coverage of Sunday Night Baseball begins at 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app and 7 p.m. on ESPN. I just like saying the other Chicago baseball team because mm-hmm. I know my Menchies won't get flooded, but Sarah's yeah, will. So right, you're welcome, that's right, America. That's right. that's what we're doing hey, here. excuse me. My Cubs uh, snapped their losing skid and beat a Braves team that was riding, I think, 14 straight Ws. So feeling pretty good today about my totally trash team. 
Oh, that's that's. They I'm just something. waiting. You know, the, the A's are my baseball team. Just uh-huh. can't wait till they get that fancy billion dollar Vegas sure. stadium. All right, let's get uh, some insight on what we saw last night. What it means moving forward from the great ESPN NBA front office insider Bobby Marks joining us now. Bobby, always appreciate your time. I was a little stunned to see how on edge the Warriors were about the things that were being said. In your experience, <laughs> do most players pay more attention than I think? Like, was that uncommon to you? It was. I mean, it felt like like they've been holding on for like two years <laughs> of material that <laughs> I'm glad I, my name wasn't mentioned in there <laughs> when they were going through all, I guess, the, the receipts that they had. And, uh, yeah, it is. I think there was just a lot of frustration um, because I think they a lot of people had count or, you know, counted this team out. And we all talked about uh, Phoenix this year and, you know, Dallas, how well they played in playoffs and they probably felt a little bit discounted as far as, um, you know, thinking that this team was still championship worthy, which uh, they certainly proved um, last night that they are. Yeah. I mean, this is just, we talked about this, Bobby, I think maybe when you were on before and after Ramona Shelburne wrote that great story about the creation of this Warriors team, the amount of money, the amount of luxury tax, the risks that they took to keep this core together and believe that they could have a second title dynasty run maybe just the one maybe future um what do you think at what at any moment during this whether it was when they had the worst record in the league or when clay still hadn't come back or when they took a risk of on wiggins was there any moment where you thought to yourself "Ooh, this is a this is a big swing or this could go very badly for them i thought it was the the, when clay got hurt the second time which was right around uh, it was right around i think it was the day of the draft in, in 2020 when they selected James Wiseman, um, I thought, well, he's, you know, he's going to be out another year. Is, does, is there, get, do we get to a point where they just pause with spending? And then they go out and, and you know, get Kelly, Kelly Oubre in a trade. It cost them like another $70 million. And then it's like, you know what? They're not. <laughs> you know, they're going to continue to spend because they, they basically looked at it as kind of, I guess, a two-year bridge year to get Clay back. Uh, hopefully Wiggins turned into the player that you know we saw in the uh, in the in the finals in the playoffs here and uh, and to keep in you know and, and you'd still have Curry and Green and you'd get you know maybe Wiseman which we didn't see and then you get Kaminga and, and Moody your younger players here so I did think back in 2020 in November that we were going to see a little bit of a pause but they proved us wrong because they kept on spending. So educate me on the money side of it then, Bobby, because. Obviously, the more games you play in the playoffs, the more money you make. Was all the money worth it for the Warriors in the end? Oh, yeah. I mean, that building's a cash cow. I mean, they're basically pumping out money, and I think that's going to be the big thing when we get uh, closer to these collective bargaining negotiations. You know, this year they're paying, you know, $350 million in salary and luxury tax. It's basically, um, you know, three teams. I think it's like Memphis, Oklahoma City, and Orlando, three teams combined. They're 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 um, spending more than uh, those three teams, and it will cost them dearly. I mean, in, in a year from now, it's probably going to cost them about half a billion dollars to keep this roster with Wiggins, who's an ex- extension eligible, and and Poole, and you got Kevon Looney and Garrett Payton free agents this year. But you see Joe Lacob sitting courtside last night. Uh, you know, you know, this is money well spent, or at least he he feels it that way. And if they've got a chance to continue to, you know get to an NBA Finals and compete for a championship, they're going to continue spending. Bobby Marks is with us here on Spain and Fitz talking about the Warriors' championship win last night with a third straight victory over the Celtics. 
How much longer can Steph Curry do this? Bobby, it feels like years ago we were already talking about how, well, he's going to play a long time because, you know, he gets everything from his, his jump shooting. But I think maybe we underestimate in those conversations how much energy he has to put into constantly being on the move the entire game. His offense is predicated on getting open, fighting through screens, creating space. How many more of these can we see? Well, it feels like he's kind of reinvented himself, not on the court, but his body. I yes. mean, he is strong. I mean, I think uh, Baxter Holmes had written, you know, he's over 200 pounds right now. I mean, you could, he's not the kid that, you know, was drafted, you know, 13, 14 years ago, that skinny 170 pound kid. I mean, he is strong. And I think as, as you know, that was probably a big thing from a longevity standpoint to keep him healthy on the court, to be able to go to the rim, like he, he saw last night and, and take on bigger defenders here. So, He's going to continue to, you know, as long as his ankles hold up and his health, you know, I, I don't, I don't see this ending, you know, anytime soon. I don't, I don't see him slowing down. I think the last, I think what happened too is the last two years helped them not going into the playoffs and having a deep run, him not playing for the Olympics uh, this past year, uh, certainly probably preserved two or three years. So let's look at the other side of this, Bobby, because obviously Celtics fans. Uh, can look at it and say, hey, we got to the finals, or they can look at it and say, oh, my God, everything's broken based on the way Tatum played at times in that final. So if you were sitting in the front office of Boston, wh- where are you right now and what's your biggest need? I think po- uh, point guard. I think, you know, and I'm not, not saying that you should just go out and trade Marcus Smart. I think you need a, a playmaking point guard, whether it be a backup, or whether it be a veteran that can kind of control the game, and that means if you play Smart off the ball, I don't think, you know, Peyton Pritchard is certainly he's more of a scoring guard. But as you saw last night, the, the, there were so many times, either whether it be turning the ball over or where they didn't value the you know possession, especially in an NBA Finals. I think when you have a guy like, you know, I'll give you an example, Tyus Jones would be great. Like, you'll not, you're not going to get Tyus Jones as a free agent, but a player like in that mold where can, he, he can give you eight points, ten assists, and just he's not looking for his shot like maybe Marcus is. Marcus is a, a scoring point guard. He's not a guy that's going to set up his other teammates. So I think that's that's probably the direction that you, you're looking for as far as if you can get that in a trade or if you can get that in free agency. Bobby Marks is with us talking Celtics, Warriors. Yeah, I, I think – you know, sometimes there's a, an overemphasis placed on how a, how a player fares in the postseason or even a final series in terms of the move that the team makes next. Do you think the performances of any of these Celtics either bought them more time or less time or made it more likely that we'll see this team come back uh, looking similarly we, or different? Yeah, I think we see it come back. I mean, I think there's enough body of work that the Tatum-Brown pairing works. I thought Jason got tired. Um, as this series, I think he got worn out. Um, so that's something for him, as far as from a from a you know physical standpoint. You know, maybe getting a little bit, maybe get a little, a little bit stronger here to kind of endure one of these long series. I just think, I think you see the core of this group, whether it be Brown, uh, you know, Tatum, Robert Williams, um, you know, Horford's got another year. Mark Smart. I think maybe you do a little bit better with as far as your back end of your bench. But I do think I think there's enough from the I guess the middle of January to now to warrant that this group comes back, you know, at least for another year. If that group comes back in your mind, stack everything up on, on the East and where they would, uh, where they would compare. I think they're right up. I mean, they're probably one or two because I think there's still question marks with Brooklyn. I can't believe that Caesars has them as a favorite um, as well. You know, number two behind golden state. I think there's a lot of questions in Brooklyn. The same with Philadelphia, um, you know, Miami will be up there, uh, Boston, if Milwaukee is healthy. So 
I think, you know, anywhere in that probably top three range. Uh, you know, I'm I'm looking at some of the trends that we maybe saw from this postseason. Felt like defense was really important. It felt like maybe if you're a fan of a team like I don't know my Chicago Bulls, you're you're delighted by the fact that it wasn't the makeshift superstar com you know com conglomerates that won. It was more home cooking, uh, growing them from from below or for putting a couple great players together, maybe not superstars. Is any of that something that translates moving forward, or is it just as likely we'll see? you know, three superstars get together somewhere and win it next year? I think the goal always, Sarah, is to try to do it homegrown, right? To, to draft, develop, keep you know players in a, in a uniform, whether it be in Chicago for three or four years. I just think you get to a point where front offices just run out of patience, right? If you get to an Eastern Conference semifinals or if you get to the first round in multiple years that you're always looking to, you know, look at a player on another roster that maybe is better than what you have and, it all come, as I said, it all comes down to patience because it, it does take a while. I mean, this Boston team, it took them four or five years just to get to a finals. And I think any of us would want just to build through the draft and you hit on your draft picks like, you know, Golden State did. And then you sprinkle on Andrew Wiggins in there. And, and then you got four championships in, you know, seven years here. So I do think the trend would probably be homegrown. But as I said, it's just a matter of do these front offices have the patience to kind of see it through. Bobby, as always, we appreciate your expertise. I hope. Well, the draft is coming up. I hope after the draft you get a few days to relax a little bit and get to get some relaxation in this summer. I got August first circled. How's that sound? <laughs> there you go. Perfect, man. Uh, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Always great work from Bobby. All right, we'll keep getting you caught up on everything you need to know. But we've got some huge names playing in golf, and one that missed the cut that everybody's going to be talking about. We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you. We'll get back to the NBA Finals and everything that a championship means for the Warriors and what it means for the Celtics moving forward. But there's also intriguing golf action going on this weekend because we know we've got the U.S. Open, but we've also had the Live Tournament that we've talked about so much on this show and everybody's talked about across the landscape of ESPN. Everybody's trying to figure out what it means this weekend with some of those golfers coming together. So that's a real question that we want to get an answer on from an expert. ESPN Radio, by the way, presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Insurance makes bundling home and auto easy. Learn more at Progressive.com. We're joined now by Lisa Cromwell. Uh, Cornwall, sorry, play-by-play for PGA Tour Live and ESPN+. Plus. Lisa, thank you so much for hanging out with us, especially after a long day, I'm sure. And uh, all eyes were going to be on whether or not everybody would get along through the course of the day with people coming together. What was the experience like from what you've seen from everybody just in that portion? Well, they played They played nicely. Jason, great to be with you guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh I had maybe some internal turmoil going on watching it, but um, no, the golf was great. And obviously this is a course, anytime you play a USGA championship, it's absolutely going to beat you up. And I think that that's part of the intrigue. And then obviously this year we have the added intrigue with the, uh, the little series that's taking place elsewhere. Tell us about the response to Phil Mickelson. <laughs> we know that he missed the cut. Had a horrendous putting day yesterday. Uh, tied for, I believe, 145th. He only beat mm. two amateurs. <laughs> Not great, Bob. What was the response from the crowd to Phil, though? 
It's hard to tell, Sarah, you know, like watching it. I guess you, you do hear cheers, but it definitely was not the same. Um, and I'll be honest, I don't think that it should be. Uh, I think that there's a little karma at play. Um, I know that it's hard to be outspoken sometimes in, in this job, but I've been adamantly opposed to this whole live golf league. I'm not going to call it a tour. Mm. Um, for so many reasons, but you know, we could get into this whole tirade about the Saudis and MBS and the atrocious human rights that continue to take place there. And the fact that there's no business model for this league, they're just paying people to whitewash the record. But look, there's something to be said. I love what John Rahm said in his pre-tournament press conference. He said he plays, he plays for history, he plays for wins. He plays for legacy. You know, he he couldn't have said it any better that when you win the Memorial or you win Arnold's event or you win at Riviera, I mean, all these things with history and things that mean a lot to little boys who grew up dreaming of playing professional golf. And that's what we're seeing unfold this week. I mean, this is what professional golf is all about. And it's really nice to get away from that conversation and focus on major championship golf and play at its absolute best. So who today surprised you the most or so far in the in the US Open has surprised you the most? That's a great question actually. Um I think Morikawa, you know, he struggled. He has um he struggled surprisingly this year and I I didn't actually I hate to admit this, but I didn't know until today that he had gone back to to the draw of his college days putting it right to left. I mean, he's for for a smaller guy in statue, uh, the way that he hits that that little bleeder cut's a thing of beauty. And I wonder, I'd be interested to talk to him if that's maybe more by design of this golf course, because I don't see him sticking with that. He's had so much success, so I'd say he's a little bit of a surprise given that knowledge. But certainly with his resume, it's not a surprise. We see John Rom lurking near the top there sitting in third despite some kids running off with his ball uh, tell us the rules on that and what exactly <laughs> happened there for those who missed that wasn't that great a great moment it's great to see john <laughs> lighthearted on a golf course because he's as tense as they come as intense as they come i wouldn't want to play poker with john romer getting a staring contest with him but you know he did show his lightheartedness when when the kids take it obviously if you know the area where it is and and there is evidence that, that the golf ball did not just disappear, that somebody actually uh, had golf ball in hand. They can they can deem the reasonable area where it was, and you get a free drop. It's not a penalty. So I think that that was a great moment just to show the less intense genre. But look, there's no surprise. He's such a great driver of the golf ball. He is such a power player. And look at the, look at the leaderboard here. I mean, you know, you have a Rom, you have a McElroy, you have a Morikawa, you have a Scotty Scheffler. He's number one in the world. This is major championship golf at its best. This, it, you know, the cream always rises to the top, and I think that that's the beauty of what we're seeing this week, and that will continue to unfold. I mean, you hate to say that some of these no names or lesser known names is probably the more appropriate way to describe it will drop off, but that's usually the case, and you can't fake it around a major championship venue. And I think that's especially something we're going to see on Saturday and Sunday. We're talking to Lisa Cornwell, play-by-play for PGA Tour Live in the ESPN Plus on Spain and Fitz Air. Spain, Jason Fitz. So, Lisa, then going into the weekend, who do you think has positioned themselves the best? 
how can you not like Rory McIlroy? I mean, you literally feel like the guy has the weight of the golf world on his shoulders right now. He really does. And I think that, I don't know if you all saw it yesterday, uh, but when he kind of lost his temper in the bunker, Rory rarely does that. You know, you'll occasionally see a club toss, but, you know, he had a two-club whack where he took it out on the sand, and I loved it. And I think that part of that is just the, not only the fact that he hasn't won a major um, in seven or eight years, but also I think just feeling the pressure of, of really carrying the golf world on his shoulders with this whole live golf thing. And he wants to win for the sport. He wants to win for himself. And it would be hard not to think about Sunday coming around without him being in, in contention. Of course, John Rahm, the way he's playing golf, you have to put him there. Scotty Scheffler, number one in the world. A lot of things can happen, and this golf course is going to get firmer and faster. These little bitty tiny targets in terms of the greens, greens and regulation, going to be a huge number on Saturday and Sunday just as we've seen the first couple of days. It's going to be exciting coming down the stretch for sure. Uh, quickly, about a minute or less, uh, what's best-case scenario for the PGA here? For as much criticism of the Live Tour, there's been – it's also shine a spotlight on the issues around the PGA. So what's a win for them coming out of this U.S. Open? Rory McIlroy to win yeah. and to continue to do what he's done. I mean, last last week with him winning was such a, a – it, it couldn't have been a better case scenario. I mean, you have the guy who's adamantly opposed to it, who's been vocal. A lot of players have been, you know, they've been trying to walk the line. They don't want to call these players out. Rory has not done that. He doesn't really attack the players, but he's going after this series. He's going after Greg Norman. And for him to prevail last week was incredible. If he could do it again and and continue to add to the wins column over Greg Norman, continue to add to the major championship wins column, and maybe make somebody like a Bryson DeChambeau think, what am I doing? Why am I giving this up? I mean, this is what the sport is all about. These guys have enough money. Phil Mickelson, I, I mean, Phil actually may need it. Bryson DeChambeau right. doesn't need all this money. Right. Dustin Johnson doesn't need all yeah. that money. So some of the most outspoken guys talking about it would certainly be a win. Hey, Lisa, thanks so much for the insight. This was great. Thanks, Lisa. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you guys so much. That's Lisa Cornwell, play-by-play for PGA Tour Live and uh, ESPN+. Plus. You can check out all of her work there as we'll keep you updated on everything you need to know for the Open. And uh, I really appreciated her honesty in looking at all of the difficulty of this. Coming up, the NBA season's in the rearview mirror. An expert joins us next to break down how the Warriors got back to the top of the mountain. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Beautiful day for the Warriors and their fans. They are on top again, champions, after ripping off three straight against the Celtics. Spain and Fitz on a Friday, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz hanging out with you. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And now a no-frills ad brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Here it is. You could say big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive. That's it. See? Just a good old-fashioned, straightforward ad. See if you could save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or progressive.com. So happy to welcome in Brian Windhorst to talk to us about this Warriors 
holy cannoli win of a championship. <laughs> uh, we'll get to, I mean, T-shirts, they're going to have cannolis at the parade. I think they got to blow this thing out. But let's get to how we got here. Because, Brian, I think what's fascinating to me is how at every turn there's been some massive concern for the world. How are they going to cover Luca? And it's like, oh, they're fine. Then even midway through this series, it was Boston is the better team and the Warriors have this tiny margin with which they can find a victory if everything goes right. And then they win three in a row and it looks like the the Celtics have no answers. What flipped? I mean, Sarah, that's the story of what championship teams do. Um, you know, I think, you know, I'm not sure anybody would admit it on the record, but I know internally the Warriors were concerned about how this series was going. And the performance that Steph put on, I mean, really this whole series was about game four. Obviously many things happened after that, um, but game four was the pivotal moment, really the whole NBA season. And in a moment that called for uh, just brilliant play, one of the greatest to ever do it, delivered. I mean, you know, that's what we want. We want star players to deliver when the chips are down. This is what we expect as fans who have high standards for, for great play. And he did it. It was, it was a completely satisfying showing, unless you were a Celtics fan. And that changed everything. And really, if you look from the front of the series to the back, most of the Warriors players kept getting better. Wiggins played better from start to back. Clay played better from start to back. Obviously, Draymond played better from start to back. Start to back. Gary Payton, the second. The constant was Steph, and he, he gave his team the time and the margin for error to find a rhythm, and they got it. And that is the story of how you win a championship. And it's a, it's a terrific one, and, and they should, they're, they're obviously very proud about it. They, they spent like an hour on the floor. Typically, <laughs> especially when you're on the road, I've, I've covered like maybe four or five times where the road teams won the title. You want to get to the, your locker room. But they, they were out there for like an hour celebrating. They were so much enjoying it. So, Wendy, when you look back at that last few games in the three-game win streak, was there anything that you saw adjustment-wise that Kerr did or that the Warriors did aside from just being great in the moment that really triggered it? You know, I think he did make the starting lineup change uh, where he uh, took out Kevon Looney so that he could increase his minutes a little bit. But I don't – I mean, that came along with the wins. I don't know if you can say that that made – that big of a difference, but obviously that happened and it, it triggered their good play. Um, I, I think their defensive game plan, they got in a very comfortable place about how to deal with the Celtics defensively. They were um, really able to trap them into um, trying to dribble drive, and once they did, they just swarmed them on the dribble drive, and they just didn't believe that they could pass their way out of it, and they were right. The, the Celtics were... <laughs> For a team that made it all the way to two wins from a championship, they were one of the worst possession teams I've ever seen. Yeah. And the Warriors took advantage of that. And, I mean, they won it emphatically. I, I did not see that coming, but there is no other conclusion than the better team uh, with, with, the, with the better heads and the better experience won. Ryan Windhorst with us here on Spain and Fitz talking about the Warriors' championship win last night. Yeah, heading into last night's game, I think 16-plus percent of the Celtics' possessions were turnovers, which just ain't going to cut it. Uh, removing turnovers, which is tough to do because it's Jason Tatum's best stat. Uh, I don't know if you saw the photoshopped Tatum as uh, Chamberlain with the 100. Not <laughs> yeah. not great for him, but well done by, by that artiste. If you take away the turnover stat and you look at his first finals next to LeBron's, 
statistically almost the same. 22 points per game, seven rebounds, seven assists, and he shot field goal percentage, one percentage point better than LeBron in his first finals. Are we being too hard on Tatum? Are we not being hard enough? No, I mean, he's still a very young player. I think the difficulty was in that series that LeBron played, if you're going to compare that, the Spurs completely outclassed the Cavs. Uh, there was almost no scenario in which the Cavs could have won that series, and LeBron was going up against a mountain. This series was there under certain circumstances for the Celtics to, to take it, and therefore Tatum's performance, it's more, it, it, it's, it's more difficult to swallow. Mm. If LeBron had shot, you know, I think he shot 35% in that series. So if yeah. he had shot 45%, maybe the Cavs lose 4-1 instead of 4-0. If Tatum turns the ball over 10 to 15 fewer times, you know, we probably would be going to game seven, if not, you know, being over the other direction. So, um, but I think it's true that it is more, it is more often than not that a star player of his caliber has to go through getting knocked around and getting some bruises before they reach the peak. And I'm a huge believer in Tatum. I fell in love with his potential when he was a rookie, and the and he was pretty much the Celtics' best player in the conference finals in 2018. I've been a believer in him ever since, and um, was very um, happy to put him on my first team All NBA ballot this year. And I thought covering them for six weeks, I thought I saw some just terrific play from him. But he left it out there. He 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 has some things to improve, and he's got some 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 things to reevaluate. He also was tired. And I know that it's mm. not, you're not supposed to say that a player is tired. It's, it's, it's like it's supposed to be le- less than being a man to say you're tired. I could see him slowing down and slowing down. His performance in the second half of game five was a red flag. And he could, he was just a shell of himself in the second half of last night's game. And I think that fatigue played a big role. Part of the greatness, we're talking to Brian Windhorst on Spain and Fitz, part of the greatness of what we'll remember from this championship, as you alluded to earlier, was unexpected contributors. Has got, have guys like Andrew Wiggins, in your mind, taken some gigantic leap forward that sustains them for the next generation? Well, I think the Warriors have done a terrific job, and they've invested greatly in this roster, and they had faith. And so I think their window is open. You know, you, you have to have certain things go your way. You have to have health. You have to have things fall just right. Um, and they've had it both ways. They've, had, they've, they've been in it when health completely went against them. They've been in it when health completely went in their favor. Um, and I actually think that's one of the reasons why they were so gratified with this victory last night. Um, I was kind of, you know, every team wins and, you know, says, well, yeah, we proved the haters wrong. You know, I don't remember this because I was in college, but I'm sure when Jordan won his sixth in a row, there was somebody going, I proved the haters wrong. And, you know, everybody's always proving (laughs) the haters wrong. But one thing that I was taking away from the, the, the way that the Warriors were celebrating and gratified last night was I think that they did harbor this stigma that, that their titles sort of had asterisks on them, that in 2015 that, you know, uh, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love had gotten hurt, and then they had the terrible scar of the blown 3-1 lead, and then the two titles they won after that with were with Durant. And I think that this title, the way they won it, you know, I, don't, I'm a, I hate the concept of an asterisk title. I'm, I will pound the table. If you want me to, I'll go on a rant right now, but I don't want to do that but i don't i believe winning a championship means never having to say you're sorry i don't care what happens or too hard to win i didn't believe that 
But part of the reason that they were celebrating like that last night, part of the reason why the MVP uh, made so much to me, it was so important to Steph, is that inside them, that irked them. And so this championship, they seemed – basically, it's, it's, it's unimpeachable. Um, and I believe every championship is unimpeachable, but I think they uh, you know, felt a huge weight off of their shoulders, and it was a, a terrific celebration because of it. I think even if you know everybody's wrong, you still want to make sure that even their dumb excuses don't don't pass with them. And so maybe that was in the back of their minds. Uh, Brian Windhorst is with us here on Spain and Fitz. About a minute to go. So big question, short answer. The two top defensive teams in the league, one, and teams that were not necessarily crafted with the idea of gathering stars from disparate places and creating super teams. Does that tell us anything about what the league looks like going forward, or is it just one year? Well, I think this this year, especially in the Western Conference, was a little bit of a window year because um, I think Luka's only going to get better. I think the Clippers are going to roar back. I think the Nuggets are going to roar back. If I was the Phoenix Suns, I would be very upset that I couldn't at least get to the finals again and make another go of it this year. I think the Western Conference will be different and more competitive. It was unusual this year that the Eastern Conference was probably the better conference. So, But the Warriors got it done. They took advantage of it, and they won it, and no one could take it from them. Um, but I will say this, regardless of off superstar building or whatever, defense always wins. And as teams make their decisions on the draft here in uh, six days, um, I think it's relevant that number one and number two defensive team uh, were in the finals. So think about that when your team makes its draft pick. Who should call the Nets and tell them, me or you? Oh, <laughs> if they don't, if the Nets don't know, I can't help them. Awesome stuff, Wendy. Appreciate the time. You're the best, brother. Take care. Have a great weekend. Awesome stuff as always. Uh, he and uh, Zach Lowe put together a little podcast to wrap everything up today. Go check that out. I think it's up on both of their podcasts if you search uh, the Hoop Collective or the Low Post. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Coming up. One of the biggest storylines of the finals. What happened to Jason Tatum? We'll get into it next. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on a Friday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Last night, Steph was in the zone. Get in the zone brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Maybe not in the way that that 43-point night stood out, but he was the man once again, and they didn't know what to do with him. And for all the conversation of people who were wondering, oh, is there any way Wiggins might win MVP if he has another big night? Wiggins was fantastic. But this statistic, fits tells you everything about Steph being the one in the zone. The Warriors' offensive rating for the finals series, with Steph on the floor, 115.8, with Steph off the floor, 88.6. He also shot 44% from three, including the game where he went 0 for 9. 44% from three, the highest ever with 50-plus attempts. He's unbelievable. I, I, I totally respect the fact that we fill 24 hours a day of content. 
the, the conversation about Wiggins being the MVP over Steph is just us filling 24 yeah, hours a day. It is. Like, I can't well, make it make sense any other way. It's people who are already trotting out the straw man of, does Steph need to win finals MVP to prove himself? All right, well, everyone who's already bought into that BS, let's tack on, is Wiggins going to win it instead? Because they'll eat it right up. Um, it's just unbelievable. I mean, Steph, again, we talked about this before. If you just look at the box score, you're not going to truly understand that everything the opponent does is decided by Steph's movement, Steph's uh, ball handling, Steph's passing vision, Steph's shooting ability from one step over half court and sometimes beyond. All of that is decided by what Steph is doing. And so even though what technically sunk the war or the Celtics was their offensive inefficiency, their turnovers, their inability to be decisive and effective in their offense. They also are a team that beat teams into oblivion with a defense that you just couldn't contend with unless you were the Warriors. And it wasn't just the transition buckets, although they were clearly much better when the Warriors turned it over, when they were just facing the Warriors in the half court or the Celtics in the half court, Boston really had a shot when they turned it over. They didn't. But you, you look at both sides of the ball and the amount that Steph did defensively as well to not be a liability on that side, but to, in fact, be super effective. And this was Steph's series. Yeah, well, and that, the important part of that, too, is you think about the context you just gave around Steph and his greatness in this series. It makes the conversations that try and bring back players from the 60s and 70s so difficult because most of us are just looking at box scores, trying to figure out what that really means and talking to historians. But when you live it, you see it, you understand the context. And that's what we have right now for Steph is some level of context. I do want to ask you context on something because as you're talking about it and as we're joking about the Warriors sort of hearing the noise, which to me still stands out as surprising. I, I don't remember who it was I talked to, but over the last week I, I asked a question about the Bulls. And I, I always go back to your fandom from that standpoint because there was a comment that by the time the Bulls got to their last championship, they seemed tired. I watched a Warriors team last night that mm -hmm. didn't look tired. They looked angry. Do, is, mm -hmm. do you remember that portion of the, the Bulls that way versus the, the Warriors and what we gave last night? Um, you know, in the moment, and I talked about this a lot when I was watching The Last Dance, I don't remember the infighting and the frustrations and the conversations about this being it as much because I was a kid, right? So I was just into the exciting stuff and not the behind-the-scenes drama. I, I mean, I guess I remember them being tired, but I don't, I don't remember it being a huge storyline the way that it was after the fact. And I bet you would hear this, the, the Warriors being able to tell you they were tired. But again, uh, think about some of the guys that they depended on, especially during that middle stretch when we said this core is not giving enough. This is Steph doing it all. And then, you know, Wiggins and GP2 and some of the younger ones picking up slack. We saw Clay get better. We saw Draymond get his energy back. But during the middle run, it was a lot of young guys. And that Bulls team didn't really have that as much. That's a really, uh, really smart point, not only for what we just saw, but also for what... I still keep thinking about what we could see because this Warriors team certainly looked fired up. Now, what we could see from the Warriors leads to also what we could see from the Celtics, and that also is all we obviously only going to revolve around Jason Tatum right now. Everybody's going to talk about Jason Tatum because, frankly, there were moments throughout the rest of the playoffs we'll always remember of his greatness, and there were moments in this series where it just looked like he was lost. And to that, uh, the uh, Ime Uduka, uh, Udoka, the coach of the Celtics, said this at the press conference about what Tatum could take away from the finals. 
Yeah, learn and understand who he is in this league. Uh, you know, you're all-star, all-NBA first-team guy for a, for a reason, and this is only a start of how you're going to be guarded and, and the attention you're going to draw. And so um, one thing that he's always done throughout the season was uh, seen multiple different coverages and figured it out, and he did that throughout the first few series, and this one was a rough one. Uh, very consistent team that did some things to limit him and make others pay, and so... Um, from him is just continue to grow and understand that you're going to see this rest of your career. And, and this is just a start. But the growth that he showed as a playmaker this year and, and in certain areas, I think this is the next step for him, uh, figuring that out and you know, getting to where some of the veterans are that have seen everything and took their lumps early in their careers. And uh, like I said, very motivated guy that uh, works extremely hard and high IQ, intelligent guy that uh, will learn from this and figure it out. And I think it will propel him to go forward, definitely motivate him. Yep, I mean, he said all the right things. He was kind to a guy who led this team all season. But I think the beginning was the most honest, where he said, you know, you're, you're finding out who you are in this league, and you're a first-team All-NBA, all-star. He didn't play that way, right? So I think to me that was not a dig, but a little bit of a like, hey, this is what we're going to expect out of you going forward. This first finals, may, maybe you're not up to that, but going forward you're going to have to be. Yeah, that that's the big takeaway to me too from what he said is it's it's really partially a challenge to Tatum of you've seen what the best are going to do against you in a series and we all know how different playoff basketball is than regular season basketball like he's going to have a Tatum has a very small window now to look in the the film and look at himself and figure out how to get better at those things because you know the turnaround comes so quickly in the NBA he's got a little bit of time to get a lot better because it, the the toothpaste is never going back in the tube. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, we're going to touch on this again later and get some of the old man phrases that you guys all use based on Clay's holy cannoli. Uh, but coming up, we touched on him earlier. We're going to get back to the nation's capital where the commanders can't get out of their own way. And I can't speak. It's next. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Holy cannoli. What a Friday. See what I did there, Sarah? I'm just going to. I saw what you're doing. Is is that good? Picking up what you're putting down. Thank you. uh, We're asking you guys on social media to chime in on the weird, like, old man phrase that you use. You can keep tweeting us. We'll read some of those in just a few minutes. We'll get back to having a little bit of fun, obviously. But one thing we've never shied away from covering on this show is everything happening with the NFL uh, Washington Commanders team. So we're going to get some expertise on everything that's going on from John Kime, ESPN NFL Commanders reporter. John, always appreciate your time, especially late on a Friday night, man. So we appreciate you joining us. What We're trying to make heads or tails of what all of this means and what's next for Washington. So I guess where we start this conversation is really from there. In Washington, is there a sense of panic around the congressional investigation or not at this point? I don't think there's a sense of panic. I haven't sensed that. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think anybody was surprised that Dan Snyder turned down the invitation to testify where it goes from here. I don't know. Um, but I don't sense panic, and especially I would say with the financial allegations, I sense more so the opposite. Now, I don't, you know, and I think where the, the sexual misconduct stuff goes, I don't know. Um, I, again, I haven't sensed panic, but that doesn't mean 
that um, and I think some of that lack of panic might be from what happens as a result of these investigations and far as far as like would other owners then vote him out. I don't get the, I don't get the panic there at this point, but I still think there's, you know, we still have to learn a little bit more as to see, especially with the financial stuff. And then with the NFL's investigation into um, Tiffany Johnson's allegation made in February about sexual misconduct, there's still, that stuff is still ongoing. So, but I don't sense panic at this point. Uh, there's been so much around this team that I forgot about the financial stuff earlier when I was going down the list of their latest scandals. That one's maybe four or five ago, so I guess I can be forgiven for only knowing the very latest in the last, like, four days. But, John, I mean, I don't know how many different ways to ask this question to get a different answer, and I think the answer is always we don't know. But how is it possible that the commanders have not inspired a mutiny from the rest of the league, uh, a, a raising up of, of, of hands to say we must remove this man from our like our rankings because not only our ranks because not only is it embarrassing and awful but it's inspiring investigations that will affect all of us bills and laws to be changed that will affect all of us I mean is it our own fault as a media for not asking every owner and every GM every single time we see them why he's still in place as an owner um, first of all I think that group lives in a different world than we do at times and I so I think, you know, you look at Jerry Jones has had some issues. Robert Kraft has had some issues, you know, different things than what's going on here. But they've, you know, there's a few other people who have had things going on. And can you get 24 owners to vote him out? Surely, certainly there are owners who would probably love to do it right now. That was true two years ago before or when this stuff was just starting, that was true. But at that point, and even into even last year at this time, the whole thing was didn't want to set that precedent. Um, and so, like, there was really never any momentum. Now, a couple months ago, starting with the owners' meetings around that time, I think you started to see, or you started to hear maybe at least a few owners had changed their mind on the, the the idea that it would set a bad precedent. But I don't know that you can get to 24 at this point. So, because again, I think there are a lot of the Raiders have their own issues going on, you know? And so I think there's, there's that sense of um, if they voted him out, then what does, what does Dan Snyder do in response? Because there would be a response. And I think that's what they would probably be afraid of where, who would he try? Who else might he try to take down if that's the case? So I think that's why you get the situation where I don't know that it'll ever rise to that level, unless maybe more things come out where there's a direct, like in the Tiffany Johnson case, if more is learned from that, then um, you know, then you could say would more than turn against him. I don't know, but I think that's I think that's why. Um, you haven't seen that level of momentum. And I, like I said, I think the biggest thing before has been that they don't want to set that precedent because then what happens if something happens to them? You know, how quickly could it turn for them if that was the case? We're talking to ESPN NFL Commanders reporter John Kimes, Spain and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz. So, John, former athletes always tell me that in the locker room you're told constantly not to be a distraction. Every little distraction matters. I keep looking at all of this and trying to figure out 
how you can be in that locker room every day and not become distracted by all of these conversations. Does it seep in your experience uh, into what the players have to deal with on a daily basis? You know, with this current group over the last couple of years, because we haven't been in the locker room, it's been a little bit harder to get that kind of a gauge. I do know that even long before this, that you would talk to players and they would say how different it was here compared to anywhere else they were at and that it would seep in the locker room. And some of it might be because, you know, in, as far as like how it would be felt and, you know, the, it's not a big building. So you're, you're constantly mingling with everybody else. And so like one issue over here is going to seep its way over to on the other side over here. And I think that, so, and it would get into the locker room. And then it depends on what kind of leaders you have in that locker room as to how you handle it. But it does become, I think it becomes a little bit exhausting for guys uh, when they're here to deal with all that. It certainly has become exhausting for Ron Rivera to have to deal with a lot of this stuff as the face of it and the coach of the franchise. So, yeah, I mean, I think some stuff, though, I will say, I think some stuff guys don't pay attention to as much as we might. You know, I think that, you know, situations like with, with Dan Snyder, what's going on there, I don't know how much players are really paying attention to it that closely. I think there are other things that probably seep into there more maybe than that. Um, so, you know, but again, I don't know because we're not in there yet. And so I don't know how it affects this group of guys because that's where you learn when you're in the locker room, you can have those little conversations you can hear like, yeah, this this is just getting exhausting. I don't doubt yeah, I mean, that it, for some people, especially if they've been around here for a while, I could see it's like, gee, another thing. Right. I mean, I guess the good thing is is that the the uh, scandal you least want to talk about will only be asked of you once before there's a new scandal that they'll ask you about that maybe you don't like dislike as much. I mean, that feels like the trend. Uh, <laughs> I do think the Jack Del Rio stuff, though, um, is going to be a little tougher to not consider a distraction, particularly for black players on the defensive side. Have you heard anything from any players or any conversations around the players of how they reacted to that? Yeah, and I, I think that's an interesting one. And part of that, too, I think a lot of uh, big part of that will depend too on what was your relationship with him what has been your relationship with him right i don't think that anything he said was probably a big shock to a lot of people in there based on what you hear from people because he's kind of been i don't think he's been shy about expressing his opinion before on twitter and so i don't know that this was a big stretch I do know, like last week, I called around to like seven different people. It was, may have been agents or friends or managers, people really close to the players, just to see, do you think this is going to become an issue? And every single one of them said no. That doesn't mean players. some players wouldn't have been bothered by it, because even John Allen said, you know, he's like, sure, some players are going to feel a certain way. But when you're there, you're there to do a job. So regardless of how you feel, you still have to go out and do your job. So that was his take. Now, I don't know that every guy feels that way. I talked to somebody close to Chase Young. He's like, that's his guy. you know. And so, like I said, I think some of it will depend on what was your relationship. Montez Sweat was, you know, said he always treated him with love and respect. So I think a lot of it will depend on what was your relationship with him before um, that stuff came out. And maybe, maybe what was your what maybe for somebody personally too, how they processed all the stuff that's happened in the last couple of years. 
it's going to depend on that. And again, because you're not, like, unless you talk to everybody, you can't say it's, you know, it's not an issue because I don't know that for a fact. I just know the people I talked to said that. Um, but I, but even guy, even some people, players were like, yeah, I'm sure that some guys are going to feel this way. And I know that some guys feel a certain way, but will it still be that way in August? I don't know. I haven't, right. I don't, I don't know. I can't answer that one. And I also think too. Well, August, he could say a million I, things I, before then too. You just, yeah, just but, never yeah, know with this but, team. <laughs> but real quick, John, exactly. cause we got to let you go, but I got to ask the flip side of it. If you're, if you're really like, we know that Jack's never held his tongue on anything, and this isn't the first team that's asked him to get rid of Twitter. Now he gets fined a hundred thousand bucks. He gets rid of Twitter. Like, is if you're Jack, are you good with that? Like, is there any concern that Jack Del Rio decides that he doesn't want to be silenced in his mind? I that that's a good question too, and you know, I asked him around on that. I think that's going to be something to watch. Now, I think he, you know, my understanding is he understood what that, you know, he created a threat. He created an issue for a team that didn't need more issues to be created for. So I think, I think that part, I think is understandable for him, but I don't know, like, I don't know if, if I'm him that would that, would that start to eat at you after a while? I don't know. You know, um, I think that's a hard one to answer because he's not someone who talks a lot to the media. So you don't know, you just kind of piece it together, but I would, you know, I could see him. He is somebody who likes to express his opinion, um, but it cost him. And because again, like one of the issues, the two things that that I heard after this would be: would it create an issue for in the locker room? And then two, why create an unnecessary headline? Right. And I think that's yeah. that's what got to them. Yeah. Well, John, we that. look forward to having you on when we can talk about actual football. But I don't know when that will happen with this team. Thanks as always what, for your time, my that? friend, especially on a night. <laughs> Thank you. See ya. John Kime, ESPN NFL Commanders reporter, joining us. We'll keep you updated on all of that. But coming up, we'll wrap things up, take a look at some of your favorite old man saying Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I've always known I'm a nerd. <laughs> Tonight I've learned I'm an old man. That's what happens <laughs> on the show. Spain and Fitz on the ESPN learned? Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're also with you on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, by now, most of you have heard Clay uh, giving us all the holy cannoli response last <laughs> night, uh, which was wonderful and endearing. And as a result of that, we put out a poll, put it on the poll to find out if this is the first time we said it. But even more importantly for mine, uh, Sarah tweeted out in honor of Clay's holy cannoli, what's your go to old man phrase? And uh, what's funny to me about that, Sarah, is the first two comments that come up when I pull it up is, Kaz, the wonderful Kaz, that says, of course, I've never said this, but Doohickey is a hilarious old person. Uh, I say Doohickey sometimes. I say Doohickey all the time. <laughs> and then the next one, Jack says, Jiminy Christmas was Lovey's go-to profanity in reference to the Jiminy Christmas you put on the tweet. Mm-hmm. I was actually kicked. I was given a double deck and removed from a church league basketball game in Nashville many years ago for saying Jiminy Christmas when I was very frustrated with the What's call. What's a double deck? Uh, double tech, double double tech. tech. You were given a double tech, tech for saying Jiminy Christmas. It was a church league. He knew what I meant. I, you know, uh, the, the, the rep no, didn't like to call in. I no, Jiminy you Christmas. You did something him. else for sure. Uh, no, and by the I did way, not. we've heard about not. your temper, and so I, you definitely said something else. Oh no, it was just Jiminy Christmas. It was just said with that tone that I can get that sometimes gets me in trouble in life. Uh-huh. But it was just Jim. I've used Jiminy Christmas you're because better off you, without that league. Then when you play in the South, you're going to play in a touch of church leagues, mm-hmm. which means you can't say what you really want to say there. So you just yeah, that's why say you Jiminy say Jiminy Christmas. Christmas. 
Yeah, it's a replacement for it. That's how I've Can't always learned it. I, for that. Uh, I definitely that's... say holy smokes. Someone said that one. Um, I say dagnabbit not very often. I say it usually more like ironically. I don't actually mm. say that. Uh, these are some good old ones. What in the name of Sam Hill? Uh, <laughs> definitely never have said golly sakes. Uh, definitely never said holy cats. Oy vey, nope. Uh, Dagnabbit, geez louise, those are pretty common for a lot of people. I don't say how's tricks. Have you ever said how's tricks? No, 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 no. And, and what uh, is easy peasy lemon squeezy? Like, Yeah, that's a pretty common. I don't think of it as old man, though, so much as just like like corny. Um, gee whiz, uh, I'll tell you what. I definitely don't say that. Uh, for the love of Pete, I say that. I say for Pete's sake and for the love of Pete. Who's I definitely Pete? don't say egads. I actually have always wondered who Pete is in For the Love of Pete. I believe it's like St. Pete. Um, oh, that would make sense. But then is that the St. Pete is for Pete's sake or is that a different one? Like we probably got two the Pete's same. Going? I'm going to say. two Pete's, one Pete? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe it's probably the Pete in For Pete's sake is probably the same, same guy. That's a lot of love for one Pete. Yeah. Uh, apparently it is a mild substitute for God or Christ. So it would also probably get you a tech in the old church league if they knew what you were saying. Mm -hmm. Uh, apparently it's similar to the less common for the love of Mike. Um, it's, it's sort of, uh, people started saying it as early as 1903. No confirmed reason though why they use Pete instead of Tom, Jim, or any other name. Somebody said it was maybe St. Peter, as I suggested, uh, because if you're going to replace Jesus or God, you replace with someone who's, you know. Close, a saint. That checks okay. out. I, I think a lot of these, what I'm learning is a lot of these were just ways for like old people you did not, not to say swear. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Right. Like much. that. That's, yeah. which is, you know, which makes sense because somebody Jesus earlier Christ. had said, uh, uh, what, what what was a son of a biscuit? I say that yes. all the time. Son, like, of, a son of a biscuit. I say all yep. the time because I just don't want to ask And then people suggested up. that's why Clay said uh, holy cannoli because he's, he's got kids, so he's used to having to make that substitute. Um, definitely don't say G Willikers. Uh, somebody said they'd take off their shoes and socks and say, oh, my dogs are barking. That's definitely <laughs> an old man thing. When, oh, Bob's your great. uncle. I definitely have never say Bob's your uncle. Uh, shut the front door. Don't say that. Where's oh, the clicker? You don't say shut the front door? No. Oh, that's that's a replacement for you know, yeah, shut the Yeah, I'm aware. Up, I just right? don't like, say it. I okay. usually just say the F word. That's okay. more my style. That I uh, usually uh, usually don't say, oh, my stars. That's definitely an old person saying. I've never even heard of consarnet, but a lot of people have said that. Have you heard of consarnet no, instead of no. god darn it? Or... Gosh darn it? Yeah. Um... Uh, no, no, I've never heard of it. Uh, you know, the funny thing is I, uh, I most of these things are replacements for swearing, which has always been sort of you know, problem in my family, but I learned to swear from my mom. Like my dad never really had any of these old man phrases. He's yeah. kind of quiet with all that stuff. And my mom just always went straight for the F word. Like there was never, yeah, yeah. never any, any between my mom's favorite. You, you know, know what I uh, say too often is, uh, let's blow this popsicle stand. Oh, that's not an old person phrase though, right? It's not. I don't even know what it's from. I have no idea why I say it, but I'll say, let's blow this popsicle stand. I'm not a, I'm, I, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's, yeah. that's kind of a, now I'm going to look up the origin of let's blow this popsicle stand. That's a, yeah. that's a, uh, apparently you can also say blow this pop stand. Uh, oh. it's a, it's a private joke between four teenagers spreading throughout the United States. Really? Congratulations yeah, so the, to those yeah. four people who yeah. got uh, this going. There we go. 
Uh, you know who else I was talking about uh, last night? By the way, Spain and Fitz, there's Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, it wasn't just Clay saying holy cannoli, but when Draymond was asked what he learned about himself over the course of the season and all the adversity he went through, he literally said nothing. I learned nothing about myself. I already knew myself, which is the most Draymond thing ever. Uh, that is That speaks to Draymond just owning the full caricature at this yes. point. Like, like I'm not going to learning. <laughs> like new media, as as he likes to keep reminding yeah. all of us, like at this point is just I'm going to be as brash and loud about this one thing as humanly possible, and I will be, you know, I will be a superhuman at doing it. It, it makes for really entertaining content. I, I have, you know, I have nothing but mad respect for his ability to keep us all riveted right yeah. into every single word that he has to say. But I do, I, I keep going back to the concept of watching them last night and how agitated they were for a team that now doesn't really have a bad guy. They were all kind of angry. Like you're all supposed to be the good guys in the Super Oh, They were happy and moved. I don't think they were angry. I think petty. I think something to prove they were joyful. They were overwhelmed with joy. I mean, Uh, when you're sitting at the the podium and you reference a tweet from a Memphis player and you call him, yeah, Clay might've been a little angry. They're calling him a bum. Yeah. Um, What I'll say about Draymond is it is entertaining. It's his Mm -hmm. shtick. I, I hope deep down inside, though, that's not how he feels, because I think there's a lot of people who believe that kind of stubbornness serves them, and they actually would be so much happier if they would say, I could always learn something. I could always get better. I could always evolve. I could always, you know, work on this part of myself. And as much as I, like, play this character deep down, you know, I don't think that's the case with him. And I do think he would be a happier person if he wouldn't get so caught up in needing to prove something every second. You're probably right, and the only way to find out is to listen to Freddie and Fitzsimmons, because last time I checked, Draymond is going to be on Freddie and Fitzsimmons. He'll tell you everything (laughs) you need to know about his podcast and more. Thanks for hanging out with Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Happy Friday. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.